Hey everyone, welcome to Eastview. Uh, we're so glad you're here at our normal campus in person and to our Eastview Online family, we're so glad you're here as well. Uh, my name is Connor. I get to serve here at Eastview as the online pastor and uh, you may have already seen, we are in the second week of a series called These Last Days. End times in the summer. Let's go. You guys ready? You excited? Yes, I may say that phrase end times, and some of you did not cheer, <laughs> because that phrase, the concept, everything wrapped within the end times might make you feel a little bit uneasy, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, and I, I get that entirely. I mean, I remember when I moved here for the first time, moved to Illinois, I heard a, a tornado test siren for the first time, and I believe I was actually here at this campus, and when I heard the siren go off, I was in my office and I literally like held the arms of my chair, looked up and I thought, oh, this is it. This is it. This is the end. I'm not with my family. I'm, I'm in a church building. I guess that's a good place to be. And uh, Jesus is coming back. He's coming to Illinois first. <laughs> because when you think of the end times and you're processing that, especially this last week when I've been just trying to wrap my head around this, you think of that when you hear things you don't normally hear or experience things you don't normally experience. You assume, oh, it's probably the end times. That's what it is. It's happening. <laughs> but maybe you read the social media articles that pop up on your feed, three ways to discover the end times or <laughs> whatever it is. Or you watch the news. We're almost saturated with it. And so if you're someone who is uncomfortable with this topic, if you're someone who wrestles with trying to understand it, I just want to give you some encouragement today. We are not here to make outlandish predictions about what the end will be like. There's not going to be any Mayan calendar related things on the screen. That's not where we're going. We're here to focus on how Jesus tells us to live, knowing that there will be an end. In fact, Jesus dropped hints about what the end looks like in the future but he spent most of his time telling us how to live in the present. And today, in the present, friends, we have a lot of challenges. As a society, as a culture, as a community, there are a lot of things to navigate as we wait for Jesus to come back. I think one challenge that's worth looking at today that has to do with our text is this. We like to hear what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. What do you think about that? You think that has to do with our culture, our society? You think that's a true statement? If not, here's the case in point. Who here loves their annual job performance review? Oh, some hands raised. Be bold, be brave. There's some hands raised. I think the people who are raising their hands are the people who love the positive part of their, of their job performance review. And that's because we like positivity. We like hearing what we want to hear. But when we get to the room for improvement section of the review, we tend to cringe a little bit. So instead, I think a lot of us would prefer to hear the positive part and leave it at that because we like to hear what we want to hear and not what we need to hear. Now, this only becomes dangerous 
okay? When what we want to hear is a lie or it's founded in something that's untrue. And so the question then becomes, what do we do about this? Because this is happening. Like I'm talking right now, but as I speak on social media, there's being stuff broadcasted all over the place. There's stuff on the news that's being said. There are things that people are sharing word of mouth over coffee every day. There are things being shared that are not true. So what do we do about this? I think one of the solutions that we could look at today is this. Pursuing truth, even though it may be difficult at times, leads to hope, not hurt. We'll break this down more throughout the sermon, but here's what I mean by that. Pursuing truth leads to hope, not hurt. It means that you need, it means that we ought to choose what we need to hear versus what we want to hear. That's what that looks like practically, even if it hurts, because there is hope found in the truth. And this is crucial for our text today in 2 Peter chapter 2. You're, you're more than welcome to go ahead and, and turn there in your Bible. Why this matters is because while new Christians in 2 Peter are trying to figure out this new Christianity thing, there are false teachers who enter the scene. And they take all the teachings that Jesus spent time developing with the disciples and all the teachings that the disciples did to lay a foundation for the churches and the false teachers came in and they just ever so slightly distorted it. And worse, they led other people along to follow them. And what's even worse than that is that the people who follow those false teachers, what we're gonna read is that they suffer the same fate as the false teachers. And before we read this text, I got to be transparent with you today. I have never spent more time on a sermon. I have never wrestled more with a sermon than this passage that we're going to read. It has to do with God's judgment. It has to do with the justice that he carries out as being our Lord. And that's hard because we're talking about people and we're talking about lives and we're talking about real souls, whether they're good or bad people. And so what I'd like to do, this might be a little unique. I wanna invite you today to wrestle with me on this. I mean, literally I spent this week writing and writing and writing and then I had to take a mental break and kick a soccer ball around or hit a, hit a golf ball because it was just so much. And you may feel that a little bit, the weight of God's judgment even though it is true. So let's look at the text. Second Peter, in the first couple of verses, and you may see already what I'm getting at. Here it is. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. This may come as a surprise, but people have been distorting the truth of who God is and his plan for the world since the beginning of time. 
It started in the Garden of Eden with a snake. That was Satan. And he took God's initial rules and just distorted them ever so cleverly. And then it became the time of the prophets and false prophets would come in and change what God's prophets were saying. And now we're in the New Testament in 2 Peter, the church is being established and false teachers are coming in and doing the exact same thing. And to give you an overall picture of what's really happening, because there are so many nitty gritty things in this text, there's 22 verses in the second chapter. We can't parse out every single little detail they do, but here's what they do, the false teachers. They take the foundational truths of what Jesus established, what the apostles confirmed and how they lived, and they twisted it for their benefit and they gained and profited monetarily. They made money off of new Christians. They made money off of people who were new to faith. And it's sick and it's evil and it's distorted and it's wrong. And it's the same thing that modern day false teachers do. Not much has really changed. It's the same sin being carried out in a different time. So instead of just focusing solely on what they say and what they do, because that really captures whole of it, here's where it gets real for us who are listening in today. Verse two says, many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And that many that's people. That's real people who are putting their faith and their trust in a person who used to follow Jesus, by the way. That's another key aspect of the false teachers. They were with Jesus. They were with the apostles and they were followers of him. And they turned away and they rejected and they used their knowledge and their influence for their own personal gain. And that many is real people referring to real people who chose to follow them instead of What's, what Peter had laid out for them. This is the weightiness that I was getting at. And I'm not kidding you. In my office on Tuesday, I think it was, I sat in my chair and I, I did a, like a timeout. I said, God, why? I understand punishing the false teachers. They deserve it. They, they knew better. But punish the people who are following them ignorantly? We're gonna read more about that in just a moment, but it, it seemed harsh. It seemed unfair. And that's the struggle that I invite you to, I invite you to struggle along with me in that. That's difficult. This is talked about more in 2 Timothy chapter four. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now you gotta think about where we're at in the digital age. I can't tell you how many times I've been on my on Instagram or Facebook scrolling through my feed. You've probably seen this too, where I see a person, an influencer, they take a scripture, take a passage, and they twist it ever so slightly to, to help their effort or their cause or whatever they're trying to benefit from. And that's not always a bad thing because they're not always doing something that's false or teaching something that's false. But a lot of cases, at least that I've seen recently, they're way off and people who don't know any better, they just believe it. They're just scrolling mindlessly through their feet and go, oh, that's nice to know. I didn't know that about the Bible. And that's happening rapidly. Like that's happening right now as we sit and we're having service. 
And I've been processing this. I just wonder, why, why do we believe so easily sometimes like that? And I throw myself in that bunch. I wonder if the reason people avoid the truth is because they're trying to avoid our hurt. Instead of facing their problems or acknowledging what's true, they listen to solutions that help them avoid the problem instead of fixing the problem. Maybe that's the case. But regardless, this hits home for all of us. If you have a friend or a family member who's rejected Jesus reading this, it hurts. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I believe someone is hurting for you. And for a moment, I wanna speak directly to your friend or your family member or to you if you're here today and you don't know Jesus. If you've been wondering who's telling the truth in this world, in our culture, in society, or where do you find the truth? I believe you're in the right place. Not because Eastview holds the beacon of truth, but because I believe the capital C church holds the beacon of truth. Or maybe you've known the truth is found in following God, but you've been following a way of thinking that's opposite or contrary to the way God says to live. If that's you, if that's someone you know, in this moment, there doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope. But in the next few verses, while it won't seem like it at first, there is. Let's read. This is the next section of 2 Peter, now chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them today after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. So here's the reason Peter goes all the way back to the Old Testament and shares these examples with us. The examples of angels going to hell, people dying in the flood, but saving Noah and his family. Sodom and Gomorrah being fried, but saving Lot. Here's the reason. He is painting a picture for us of God's judgment and his justice. And for a moment, this might still seem harsh, but there are two ways to look at this. Here's the first one. You can look at these stories and you can say, wow, God's mean. He just destroys what he doesn't like and he saves what he does. And if you think that this morning, what I would challenge you to think instead is consider the whole picture. Here's another way to look at it. These stories tell us that God will judge everyone and his justice will be done. And there is love in justice. There is freedom in justice. 
But for those who reject God and worse, lead others to reject him like the false teachers do, you don't have to be a scholar to pick up how the ending is. It's not good. And what we also have to realize, it's not God rejecting them. It's them rejecting God. However, for those who pursue God, even when the truth around them is distorted and twisted, God will save them. God's justice actually ends up being loving and fair, even when it seems harsh. And that's the tension that we wrestle with when we consider people in our lives or people that we know who don't follow Jesus. Because we may know that judgment is coming, but we don't want to live in that reality. But ultimately, we know that God's justice is loving and it's fair and it's righteous. And if you're not convinced yet, let me share this verse that happens in chapter three, the chapter after uh, this section that we just read, conveys God's heart, even being one who judges. He says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Beloved is the group of people, the church that Peter's writing to, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And if I understand what any and all means, this is crazy, but it means that false teachers in church leadership positions that have taken advantage of people manipulated circumstances for their own gain, even in our world today, like modern day false teachers, means that they can repent. It means that even if they've wrecked the lives of other people, they can honestly and in full integrity look to God and say, Father, I, I'm sorry, forgive me. And Peter tells us in chapter three that they can repent. God is not this... <laughs> He's not this man in the clouds that looks to cast judgment and blow everything up that he doesn't like. He's patient, he's loving, and he wants all people to repent and turn back to him. And it's not just the false teachers who can repent. It means that the relative that you have that's been fighting God their entire life, they can be on their deathbed and they can repent and turn back to God. It means that if you feel like you've been living a lie that someone else wrote for you in your life, you can repent and you can turn back to God. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right at times that people who mess up other people's lives get a pass. But the truth is that we've all messed up. We've all fallen short. That's why we sang that song, thank you for the blood of Christ because it has the opportunity to cover the sins of the people who now call Jesus Lord and has the opportunity to cover the sins of people who have been denying him and rejecting him and making other people's lives a living hell, even on their deathbed. That is the power of the gospel. And that is why we gather in this room. That's why we gather online to worship Jesus because of that power and repentance that all of us can experience it's easy to look at these stories and think, God hates me. No, God actually went to great lengths to show you that he loves you. And he wants all people to turn and repent and come back to him. What we have to remember is that God is the one who judges. 
He is the one who brings justice. That's not our job. Our job on earth is not to look at people and judge. Our our job on earth is not to be the people who bring justice when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to the things that God knows. Our job is to pursue what's true. Because in this final section, the challenge that is still before us is that 2,000 years ago, there were false teachers uprooting and ruining churches. And today, all over the world, there are false teachers that will also not repent and will not turn to God and ask for forgiveness. So what that means for us is that we have to still wrestle with people that are spreading lies when we want to be people pursuing truth. So what do we do about that? Where do we go? I believe the answer to that is actually found in chapter one of 2 Peter. What Peter writes right before we read what we just did. I think that's it. No, let me scroll a couple more times. I think I messed it up. Is it there? Nope. I'll read it off the screen. I'll read it off here. Here's what he says. He says, oh no, I was right. Let me go back. (laughs) I was right. I skipped ahead. I skipped ahead. Here it is. By the way, we've read 22 verses today. 22 verses in one one Sunday. That's That's a lot. That's a lot. So you understand why why we're getting a little confused. Here it is. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, he's talking about the false teachers, by the way, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. He's talking about the false teachers who used to follow Jesus. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. More stories in the Old Testament about prophets who used to be with God and followed him, but have rejected him. These are the waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the Holy Commandment. Last section, delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. You can tell that these false teachers in Second Peter, they didn't just teach things that were false. They lived a lifestyle that was false and contrary to what Jesus taught and how God wanted people to live. 
but they're not just people who have rejected God. They, they live and teach in ways of continually rejecting God. And after Peter fleshes out how they live through, the, through all those verses, he ends with this proverb that's really easy for us to understand what he's really getting at and says all those verses for. He says, the dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, which is a pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Basically what, what Peter is saying here, he's saying they, these false teachers, they know better. They know better and they still teach the way that they teach. And it's sad because they know what they're doing and the damage they're causing. They're returning to the filth that they left and they're leading other people along with them. And unfortunately, these new Christians and people, they were drawn to a teaching, this is key here, that felt good. It sounded good, but it was a lie. And the false teachers knew it. So the question then for us is, if we know we're drawn, like if we have this human instinct and way about us that we're drawn to hearing what we want to hear, where do we go to find truth? In our culture today, there may not be a more question to wrestle with. Where do we go to find truth? This was the passage that I was searching for before I flipped through all those slides. Here it is. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, the passage leading up to the 22 verses we just read. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They not only saw Jesus, they lived with Jesus. They were friends with Jesus and they experienced him. They experienced his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will all do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe the book that we've been reading from today. We believe it's the source of truth. We believe it's a lamp shining in a dark place. And we believe this because it was written by a guy who not only spent time with Jesus, but was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Knowing the Bible, knowing what Jesus teaches, but even a level deeper, knowing Jesus' heart for the world, for people. All of that helps us filter the things that are posted on social media. It helps us filter when we're talking with people about spiritual things. It helps us filter what's happening in this world, even when it's depressing or sad or makes us anxious. Going to the word that was created in the beginning, that lived in the beginning, manifested himself and became human and dwelt among us who is the true son of God who gives us truth and that we now read about and live by. That is what we cling to. 
Ultimately, pursuing truth for your life, it doesn't start with your own truth. It starts with Jesus. And it should end with Jesus. Listen, the, the point of today is not to be paranoid about everything an influential church leader says and does to sniff them out if they're a false teacher. That's not the point. That's not why we're here. The point is to acknowledge that because we're drawn to hearing what we want to hear, we need to make sure that we're believing what we believe, not just because we like it and it feels good, but because it's ultimately true. And I hope you found hope in what was said today, even through the verses that we read that were challenging. And I also hope there were some things that felt weighty and challenged you and maybe did cause some real tension. I believe at the intersection of hurt and hope is truth. And I believe Jesus taught in ways that were encouraging and loving and felt good. I also think Jesus had teachings that were painful to hear. And I think he does both well. And those are the stories, those are the teachings that we cling to when we have a world that is dark and we need a light to help us get through. Now to lead us into worship, we're gonna pursue truth together, all of us. Everyone in the room, everyone online, you can participate in this as well. In just a moment, we're gonna stand together and we're gonna read what's called the Apostles' Creed. If you don't know what that is, the Apostles' Creed is basically a, a statement of truths that were collected in the first couple centuries when the church was being born. And they put them together in such a way that you can read them easily and understand what's being said easily. So at this time, go ahead and stand here. If you're in the room, if you're online, we'd invite you to stand with us. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna read these truths, read these statements together. It's one voice, it's one body. Let's read. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.